So you should be live casting how, are they sweet or salty or both or what's going on? I don't know. You know, what's that stuff that you put in cinnamon cookies? Cinnamon. What else? Butter. Cookie. It's a spice. Here, you want to taste one Nutmeg. Tell me what it, nutmeg, maybe. Nutmeg? Okay, now we're all going to eat. Wait, wait, all, all simultaneously making eating noises. Cinnamon. Is that cinnamon, really? Yeah, I'm going to go with cinnamon and some sugar. Okay. It just tastes like cinnamon sugar. Yeah, yeah they're pretty good. Yeah, delicious. Yeah. We have three chefs competing now to be the chef in the new Stack Exchange office, and apparently really? it's a very desirable job because they're sending us homemade treats all the time. By Which us, you mean from? you, not the office? Because no, I haven't seen any. No, we're in. This was all in the kitchen. This is homemade? Yeah. Have we talked about on the podcast the time that somebody sent us homemade dog biscuits and Cornel ate one? <laughs> oh, that was, uh, wasn't that our friend? That was, that, uh, that was Betsy Weber from yeah, te- yeah. Techstars. Because yeah. that was hilarious. <laughs> I think we might have talked about that, though. Well, if not, that's basically the whole story. And then you got sparkle bombed. Speaking of sending people strange things. <laughs> there, there was the glitter bomb. That was, that was a glitter favorite bomb. moment. That's what I'm going for. I got an application, a job application from somebody in Europe that when I opened it, dumped a significant quantity of purple glitter onto my desk. Oh, yeah. Wait, and inside once. was his printed resume and cover letter and a whole lot of glitter. We didn't hire him. Yeah. No glitter. Glitter's tough. Though we, we tried not to hold the glitter against him because it was... It's a nice gesture. So, uh, the podcast, uh... Let's just start it. We gotta make sure we're done chewing and picking things out of our teeth, because... You mean masticating? That's what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with masticating on a podcast? I'm sorry, are we not not 13 years old this week for the podcast? Because that is entirely new information to me. And you are listening to Stack Exchange podcast number 46 with special masticating co-star Jay Hanlon, senior David Fullerton, and fake producer Alex. Hi. Hi. Hello. And uh, I'm Joel uh, with snarky comments from Arthi in the chat room. Featuring. Yeah. Uh, what's new today, guys? We have, a, we have a guest. She's coming a little bit later. She's very busy right now. Things are a little bit confused here. First of all, because we were just eating some nuts. So everybody's thinking about masticating and, and not doing that on microphone. And the other reason everybody's just had to throw that out there. Thanks, Joel. Like, you guys are not starting. You've got the list. I have nothing I can do. Oh, but this is good. Tell you good. Stories. good. Just keep going. Uh, <laughs> thanks. thanks. I wonder how many times he'll say masticating if we don't throw him a rope. Uh, we're moving. You were going to talk about how we're moving. Yes, the office is in complete disarray. You'll notice over there that producer Alex looks completely different. The, the office that we're in is covered in these gigantic orange rent-a-crates. Rent-a-crates. Yeah, they're like boxes only. They, they actually classic. work very well because it's kind of the Stack Overflow orange. That's true. Oh, they look like they're branded. They exactly match. That's true. It looks like that's an intentional wall. They match the wall. A separate office. Uh, there's just walls and walls of these gigantic crates that we're using to move all our stuff. The new office at 110 William, and Woo-hoo. we've got two more days left in this office. We got Wednesday. We got Thursday. Friday. Everybody's work from home day, as if. So is it is it on Thursday? We're all going to sign each other's notebooks and hug and. That's right. Remember how awesome the last take pictures. You know what we should do is we should sign the walls of this office. Mm. Or we should some spray paint some kind of thing about how like this was the amazing first office of Stack Exchange Incorporated. We should just take one wall and write really like scary things all over it. Yeah. They could be uh, questions and answers from answers.onstartups.com. It could be. It could, we could have Julie suggest the best ones. We could have this dramatic thing. We all write the thing we love most and the camera pans out as we all kind of bond and then it cuts later to the poor janitor's scrubbing our vandalism off the wall <laughs> there you go uh, yeah or just yeah. painting over it with with complete irreverence becomes a different kind of movie yeah, yeah it could be a beautiful mural that we've constructed and then there's and just some painting over, painting it, over it nobody ever saw it except us yeah. so sad so we're moving to the new office which is going to be awesome Hex- hexagonal offices. Hex- hexagonal offices i don't know if we talked about this what happened to the there used to till until 10 minutes ago there was a floor plan in the new office right up there i could have looked at it and consulted with it and told you about it alex had to take it so he could find its way around the new office i like that you're looking around and being like why is stuff gone there's stuff that was here and now it isn't there anymore and i don't know what the hell happened to it my desk my the whole area around my desk was absolutely like knee deep in garbage that people had mailed me like swag t-shirts and by garbage joel means much appreciated gifts and he he's thanks you well appreciated gifts but it's in the box in the orange box now and my desk looks forlorn what, what's really going on? Do we have any, any news? We have lots of news. Yeah. 
We've got a site milestone. We've got our Tridian site went into public beta. Tridian is a web content management system. We're apparently now in the game of web content management system stack exchanges. Every, it's going to exactly. be a subgenre of stack exchange. It's, those are really popular because they all have their own like weird garbagey stuff that you have to ask questions about. Mm. And none of them um, really care about each other. And it doesn't make sense to throw them all into one site because an answer for Magento will not be at all interesting to somebody who's using Tridian. Exactly. Not even remotely vaguely interesting ever. And I think Tridian we talked about was a little bit of an interesting case. They probably had a, what seemed like a slow private beta, mm. gave them a little bit more time. And I think as we kind of learned more and dug in and paid attention, what we saw was the community is actually very engaged, sort of very, I think they're, they're enthusiastic, but it's a very small community. And I think it's an interesting test of sort of What's the smallest possible stock exchange that can survive? Right. And I think the questions are getting good answers. They've got 99% of questions answered, not just the initial burst after a kind of reasonable amount of time in private beta. They're averaging about five questions a day, which is, you know, by no means super impressive. But for a site that's a month old, that puts them, there's probably 50 sites getting fewer than five questions a day right now. So that puts them well into the top uh, decile, quint, quint, quintedecile. The top of the bottom decile. Yeah, quintedecile. Masticating. Top half. Let's say say top half, just to keep things accurate. These very small sites remind me in a way of uh, Iceland. Do do they? So like a whole country has its own currency, right? And neither of them were discovered by Leif Erikson. <laughs> it was not. No. They have volcanoes in Iceland. Doesn't, um, Sometimes these Iceland. sites erupt. That's right. <laughs> they, they have a wretched banking system. No, you know, it's just a small country. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly high quality. Sometimes people need to go there. Congratulations, go there citizens of Iceland. <laughs> says there's not, not the I think I flew through change. Iceland once on the way to somewhere in Europe. Yeah. You mean you got off and changed planes or something? Yeah, in, yeah. in Reykjavik. Yeah, yeah. That that used to be the old the old common system because uh, the Icelandic airline, in order to subsidize themselves. All so, right, so Tridian, if that's if that's your thing, there's a new stack exchange at you might have guessed tridian.stackexchange.com. One of the interesting things with the Tridian site, I think, is it, it's a good test for sort of how we feel about small sites. The Tridian platform only has you know less than ten thousand users in the world. This is never going to be a massive site. What we're seeing right now, though, is it is a site where the people that need that information can get it, I think, better than anywhere else they could. So I think we're excited about that as long as it stays that way. And so the big question sort of is, is there sort of a, a critical mass, a minimum threshold below which you just won't be able to get enough people checking the site every day? There's not enough questions or enough people who, who can ask yeah. questions. We definitely, uh, yeah, I've always thought that there's sort of a minimum critical mass for a site to be alive before which it disappears. Right. And this is one where I think the total, you know, possible user base is is close to that line, right? Small. But what we're seeing so far is, you know, because they're engaged, um, it's they're really working. And so if it doesn't drop off, it'll be, I think, a good test. You know, it'll kind of establish a level that a site can, a uh, size level that a site can get down to and still be pretty functional if the people have enough, you know, questions. This is a stupid, stupid question, but is there a way to get emailed new questions? Um, like all the new questions on the site? We have RSS feeds. And I guess yeah, you could you can. pump them into some kind of email, RSS Google, email. Actually, Google, Google has canceled RSS. It's closed. Oh, yeah. No more <laughs> RSS. <sighs> yeah. Well, yeah, you could set up something with RSS or you could use the stackexchange.com tag filters. That's the best way to get yourself emailed oh, questions. Okay. Nobody, knows about it. Nobody knows about this, David. We've got to make it easier. Because here's the thing. If a site is small enough and yet it has a group of 10 people that are like, I would love to answer any question that ever appears in the site. You could sign up for the newsletter if there are only seven questions asked on the site. All seven all of them. <laughs> once a week, you'll get, you'll yes. get a one, once a week reminder to come answer those seven questions. But I mean, some people might just say, look, this site is not getting enough traffic. Give me a, every time there's a new question, just go ahead and email it to me and I'll either answer it or not. And that might actually help keep some smaller sites alive. I mean, that was a pretty standard thing in the, the days of Google groups and Deja News and all the different Usenet slash news group things often had, you know, kind of this idea that below a certain level of traffic, you kind of had to go to email in order to interrupt people get an answer. And I think for sites that are either small or very young, there's more interest in that too. Like when you're part mm-hmm. of a new private beta and it's sort of all fresh snow and you, you almost want to see what people are asking yeah. and jump in and answer as much as you can. And it's sort of your week, you can be number one for a while. Yeah. So anyway, I think Pridian's a good example, I think, of what appears to be so far a very small but very healthy site. And we're kind of excited about what it can tell us about how small sites can do. Okay. All right. Trello. Stack news. We're moving. We did that one. Here we go. New user homepage. Let's talk about the new user homepage, shall we? Because this is I think this is exciting. This is exciting. We've been doing we've been doing a lot of work around the new user experience. Uh, we talked before about login and gravatar and all kinds of things. A ton of people, but uh, David, Jeremy, and I 
have been working on lots of ways to help new users get to know the site better, you know, the, the new about page and all these things. Um, but one of the things we talked a bunch about is how the current front page of the site is not really optimized either to show off what makes the site interesting to a new user or to help a new user figure out where the heck to go and what to do next. It's a list of questions that have been, I think, for the most part, touched recently, right? Edited, essentially, have been... Yeah, basically. Recently active questions. Right, recently active. And so what you get is not necessarily questions that are particularly representative of, you know, sort of the best the site has to offer. And a new user sees all these different esoteric questions. They're not really organized by topic to them, assuming it's a broad site, and neither knows quite what the site's about necessarily, nor what the right thing for them to do next is. And so a whole bunch of changes are forthcoming for the homepage. One that's just, uh, I think, sort of cleaning up a little bit of clutter is we've taken out some of the places they might click that will be less helpful to them. Hmm. So for example, up top, there won't be as direct a path to places like Meta, because if they're looking for how to figure out what to do next or how to learn more, we kind of want them headed to the new about page. That's kind of the how to get started guide. We've always actually kind of uh, changed what shows up on the top header based on, because there's just not enough room there. There's always been a lot of contention for space in the very top nav header. Yes. And so we're trying to basically limit it to the things that we think will be yep. really more valuable to new people and also to display more. So for example, in the community bulletin, we show a couple things. So one could be big announcements about elections or other things that do give a good vibe for how the site works and that it's community driven. But other things are often kind of these, you know, top rated meta posts, which sort of we're getting into, you know, the how the site should be changed from how it currently works to a better way of how it could work, which is really a little beyond what the average new user I should be looking at. And so we're, we're shifting sort of what's displayed there. And what we're using a lot of that real estate for is a kind of big hero that Jeremy working with Jen did a pretty cool job of kind of giving a quick and I'm sorry, I, I forgot that David Fullerton put on his assistant designer hat. I want credit for something. it. I, I hand drew little speech bubbles for when you see the design, you you can imagine what my hand drawn speech bubbles looked like. He's, he's trying to show Jin us right now. Made beautiful. He has two crayons. One is gripped in each fist. And it's it's actually not bad. They're jumbo crayons, though, not not regular kid sized crayons. So anyway, yeah, so we're taking a look at the new user homepage, and it's something we've sort of known has been a problem for a long time, but nobody's ever gotten around to doing it. We have kind of, a, I think, a blind spot because all the people we talk to and listen to and, and get feature requests from are already members of the site, so they already know what's going on, and, and they don't really see the you know, what a new user sees. So we wanted to take kind of another look at that and say, let's kind of separate what a logged out user sees on the homepage from what everybody else sees on the homepage. Yeah and show them something that's going to be interesting to them. So one of the first changes we looked at there was instead of focusing so much on unanswered questions, we also want to show kind of hot questions from this week or month. Oh, wait, we're actually changing the list of questions we show you if you're yeah. logged off? Yeah, yeah, we're changing so, the list of questions. So, so we, want to, we want to have a mix there of some unanswered questions, but also some just generally interesting representative questions from the site, you know, hot stuff this week or month. It's true. Actually, a lot of times I'm demoing StackOflow and I'm going to stackoflow.com on a random browser and showing it to people. And just because of the algorithm, nothing there has any votes or answers. You right. see a lot of zeros. Part of that is that it's the zeros are because it's too fresh. So on Stack Overflow, yeah, the issue fresh. is there. Oh, on the front page, it's always fun. You can show people questions that were already answered and they're like less than a minute old, which is neat. Yeah. But the problem, aside from them being new, so they don't have a lot of votes, is by Dane of them being essentially random, right, in, in quality, mm -hmm. you're not doing an awesome job of showing people sort of how interesting a question they can probably find from even the last few days. Right. And so what the new algorithm is doing is mixing those questions they can act on, which are very new, with questions that are likely to be of, of interest to more people. So for example, questions that had a lot of upvotes, that in, you know, the, sort of the recent most interesting questions. So more people when they arrive will go, oh my God, that's an awesome question. I'm really interested in that. In addition to seeing, well, here's one maybe I can help answer. Yeah, so, so that's the first thing we're looking at. And then we're, we're also playing with some other stuff. I think you, you mentioned the hero, which is just a big uh, kind of welcome to the site banner. Why, that, why is it called the hero? I, I've started hearing that word uh, last it's week. Just is that a, just something we made it's up? A, it's a, no, it's a designery term for the kind Ooh. of big flashy thing at the top of the page that gets people to click on it. It's the thing that like you log on to the site for the first time and there's just like a big gigantic welcome to the site it's amazing yeah and you click and it's like click to dismiss this and never see it again yes and then you go back to just being the site yes so that's that and then uh we're also playing with an interesting thing so on the list of questions normally we show you stuff from all topics but we're going to have a list of tags across the top top tags from the site that you can click on and it'll just instantly filter down to that tag so if you go to stack overflow and you see a mix of all questions you can click c sharp and just get a list of hot c sharp questions hot C-sharp questions in your area. And uh, 
Hot C sharp action is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, <laughs> so that that's the stuff we're looking at, and that's starting to it's roll like out. Geolocating based on where you are. It's no, like no, hot, it has nothing hot to C do. Sharp questions in Dalton, Connecticut. <laughs> Just to be clear, it has nothing to do with uh, geolocation. Okay. So that's the new user stuff, and that's starting to roll out this week. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, nobody's gonna see it. Okay, gonna nobody's gonna see it, see it unless so go, they log out. Don't forget out. to right. log out. No, actually, uh, you just do the what's it called? Command Shift N, the thing that brings up a new browser in incognito mode. Chrome. Uh, in Chrome, or uh, they all have an incognito mode or private browsing, whatever they want to call it, and comes up with that in cookies, and you can see what the experience is like for a logged out user. Yep. Yeah, and I think we're getting better at, I think, appreciate sort of like our main homepage works really well. It's a, just a power user interface, right? It's designed yeah. for people who have different needs. It's not a great way to introduce new people. Don't you think it's more interesting to people to see the site like in its full glory instead of in sort of a simplified and stupided down interface? It's not going to be stupided down. That's exactly what we're showing. <laughs> we're showing a mix of oh, okay. glorious questions and unanswered questions. All right. Right. This is more the, glorious. Right now it's just unanswered, which makes the site look like, you know, all these other sites that can't get anything answered just have a bunch right. of questions with no answers. Yeah. A good way to think about it is do you want more glorious or less glorious, Joel? It's up to um, you. Glory. We're just okay. turning the, the glorious knob up to like seven. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that the way to get people more interested is to seduce them with something that's mysterious. <laughs> so you're, you're proposing an interface that makes no sense, <laughs> yeah. which will then make them more likely to stay on the site because it makes no sense. Because they're trying to figure it out. Maybe one big button and it moves when you try to click it. <laughs> no, this no, is no, good. Let's, like let's, um, maybe, you, maybe some of the this stuff is in like Aramaic. Like, Sounds like a good question for UX Stack Exchange, actually. Uh, we'll see what they what they think about All right, Joel's mystery navigation mystery. idea. Have we talked about our guest? Yeah. Meanwhile, while we've been talking about this, we got a signal from fake producer Alex that uh, yes, that Zuli has arrived. Welcome, Zuli. Hi. That's uh, Zuli Gonzalez. Uh, you know her as a moderator from the On Startups Answers.onstartups.com, which is our startups Stack Exchange, and uh, what else? Co-founder of Lightpoint Security. Tell us a little bit about what, what that is. We're a tiny startup, two of us, and we have a virtualized web browsing solution. So we uh, basically protect computers from web-based malware by uh, allowing people to browse the internet from within a, an enclosed environment, from within a virtual machine. From within a browser. Yeah. So it's like yeah. I heard you like the internet, so I put some internet inside your internet. So you would get internet <laughs> it's like a virtual machine inside of your browser. Yeah. Like a thin client browser. But it's a, it's a client. It's not the virtual machine isn't actually running in locally. It's running somewhere in the cloud. Correct. The virtual machine is remote, so it's not running on the client. We just have a, a plugin that okay. talks to the server. So do you just install this as an like an extension or a plugin in your browser, and it just looks to you like you're browsing normally, and it, yes, and it fakes it? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just a plugin, and it it integrates seamlessly into the browser. Who's your client base? Do do corporations use this to sort of protect their Who's, who's the end user generally? Yeah, so enterprises. When we initially started, we thought, well, maybe consumers. This has been a long learning process for us. We thought consumers would be the way to go, but we quickly learned by doing some customer interviews that consumers don't really care about security that much. <laughs> and they especially don't want to pay for security. But during that interview process, we learned that, you know, enterprises really do care about it and they are willing to pay lots of money for it. So maybe we should go that way. And we kind of pivoted to, to enterprises. You know, one way you can get consumers to pay for security is by popping up one of those little things that says, you have a virus, click here to, <laughs> yeah. click here to remove well. it. <laughs> that does work, yeah, yeah. Although, I don't know, I think everybody's starting to learn that that's a bad idea to, to buy those things. To buy? To buy things that come from pop-ups on your... Oh, yeah, browser. well... <laughs> I don't know, I think people still do it. I um, was just yeah. able to successfully infect your computer with a virus. <laughs> I think the one thing, like... Pay me money. Beginning entrepreneurs never know because they're usually, they were, they were sort of civilians with civilian style budgets in their previous life. And one of the biggest mistakes that they often make is underestimating just how much companies will pay for things. Yeah, mm. uh, They're just in the habit of paying huge amounts of money for things. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, everything's really expensive when you're a company. Yeah. You can sell them the same thing, but you know, up at 10 times and they'll pay for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's, if it's providing the right value for them, right. and, yeah. um, you, know, you still have to get them to buy it. So you need a sales force and that's where all the money goes. Right. Yeah. But there's a pretty clear value proposition here with your software, which is how much do viruses cost you? Right. Which can be quite large in a large enterprise. And yeah, this basically yeah. the virtualization totally eliminates the possibility of that, I guess. So, so how does like downloading files work though? If you if you actually download a file, presumably that goes to your local computer. Yeah. So um, we could either block downloads altogether, which is super super secure, but nobody wants that. 
right. <laughs> One way to have total security <laughs> is to turn off, turn off your computer. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing with security. It's always that struggle, that balance between secure and usability. And you need to strike that, that right balance. So going back to your question. So what we're looking at doing is allowing a download to happen in a quarantine area and then doing a scan on that document, say it's a Word document, scanning it. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out it's okay, then okay. you push it off to the network. Some of that, which actually, like, that's exactly what Gmail does if you try to download mm -hmm. an attachment yes. from Gmail. But uh, obviously, that's only one site that users might visit. Yeah. Okay, cool. So obviously, I guess, I assume, and maybe this is wrong, but the process of doing your own startup is what landed you on our answers.on startups? Yes. Yeah, I've been a early, early user. I was a user way before it was part of Stack Exchange and it was still a, a Ah, back in the... Yeah, back in the old days. Ye, ye olden it days. Kind of, it kind of went through three phases, I think, answers. Or it went through several phases. Yeah, so originally it was a, it was a Stack Exchange 1.0 site where... Yeah. Uh, it was created by Dharma Shah of HubSpot and uh, Jason... Cohen. Cohen. And yeah. the startups blog. Something bear, something with a bear, and it's Smart Bear Software. Smart bear. And the two of them uh, started, and they actually invited like 30 or 40 of their startup-y friends, and they're like, come on, why don't you guys go, come answer one question? So there was a very early phase where it actually had some celebrity entrepreneurs and stuff answering questions. Mm -hmm. And it was associated with onstartups.com, still is technically yeah. affiliated with onstartups.com, which is Darmish's own startup-y blog, um, which has a big worldwide audience, obviously, as you can tell by all the questions that flow into answers.onstartups.com. And some of them are just like, you know, oh, I'm, set I'm setting up a bar in Nigeria, and I'm wondering where I can <laughs> order beer supplies from. And I mean, it's just really completely yeah. different kinds of startups than I think we're I used to I can connect hearing. that guy with an ex-member of the royal family, if it would help. <laughs> Does it, I mean, just really a lot of people that have landed on there that are not the people that we normally associate with startups. Yeah. So, so then at some point you became a, a moderator. Were you one of the first moderators? No, I came on after uh, we became part of Stack Exchange. Right. So okay. I was not one of the early, early moderators. Okay. Right. So after Stack Exchange 1.0 went away, there were, uh, there were about five sites on Stack Exchange 1.0 that we really, really had a lot of content and a lot of traction. We wanted to preserve them in some way. Uh, that was one of them. Money was the other one that I know of. I don't know. Uh, yeah, money. Uh, that's what well, is now money. That's Stack Exchange. Yep. Oddly enough, both of them sort of had some difficulties adopting. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way we started was not the way you know all the other Stack Exchange sites started. It's still to this day, I think, is a little bit of a, a struggle for us, for the community. What would you like to see uh, Answers on Startups get better at? What do you think the the sort of things that would give it kind of more more strength would be? A stronger community. I feel like we don't really have a sense of community. Um, some yeah. of the other sites coming out of Area 51, you see that sense of community. We don't really have that. I think that that hurts us a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the right thing to do about that is. There's definitely a feeling... I don't even know how to describe it, but there's, what you're describing is a sense of community. What it feels to me is sort of people come to answers on startups kind of expecting to get something from the site. They, they've got that kind of attitude, like the site has been produced for me and I'm going to come here and get something out of it, as opposed to um, a lot of the sites come through Area 51 and they're like, this is our site. We fought for it. We got it created somehow. And, and it's kind of our responsibility to build it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people just show up and they're like, okay, the site's here. It's... I just have to answer questions and, and ask questions and that's it. Yeah, there's no, um, it's like, for example, our Meta site doesn't really get used very much. Um, but that may be common with some of the other smaller sites. I'm not sure. Yeah, but the Meta participation is extraordinarily low, um, yeah. which is always sort of a bad indicator. I can't quite figure out what the right questions are to have on. I mean, if you had an amazing site with questions about startups, so the competition is probably Quora. Mm -hmm. The only thing that Quora is really good at is startups questions. But the questions that they're good at are things like, who is the fourth deputy co-founder with the third least amount of stock among the PayPal founders that moved in after they changed offices from University Avenue? And, and yeah. it's like, uh, and then somebody's like, well, I know that because that was the guy that I shared an office with. And, and you know. We were roommates, then, actually. Yeah. At the time. yeah. <laughs> All the people are on that. <laughs> and they seem to like uh, subjective questions a lot. Yeah, there's also, well, there, yeah. yeah, and there's kind well, of why questions, right? Like, why, why did right, they do right. this? Yeah. And then it, we don't like right. those questions because the only way to answer is to have the person who made the decision come on and say, well, here's why I made the decision. But right. on Quora, right. somehow they actually managed to get that person sometimes. They either get that person or they get 90 other people just, just completely speculating. And it's actually sometimes more harmful than 
helpful on Quora where you just get kind of random people yeah. saying, oh, it's obviously because dot, dot, dot. And that's just, you know, one spectator's opinion. Yeah. But I, th I also think that the topic is naturally more subjective than others, right? There's no way around it. That, uh, not than right. all others, but- It is a problematic topic. You know, where almost every really interesting question about startups does have a closer to an infinite number of possible answers than say right. any decent question about programming. Yeah. It's also, I don't know about subjective, but it's kind of what happens when you get you get kind of startup founders together and they kind of just share war stories, right? They, it's not necessarily they've discovered the one right way to do something, but it's sort of like, here's what happened to me and this is what I did about it. Yeah. And just because it works this one time doesn't mean it's going to work every other time. Yeah. That's a funny thing. And, and then 90% of the questions, which is one of the things that I despair of sort of, are these sort of three sentence questions that yeah. are of the form, I have made a thing and nobody is buying it. How do I get people to buy <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> yeah. we, have, we have no information. Yeah. And, um, for, for a while, it was, I have made a thing. Would you please look at it and give me your feedback? Yeah. Which was just sort of a, a way of saying, uh, and now I want you all to start looking at it and telling everybody and buying it. And this sort of imaginary belief that you'll spread the thing quietly by pretending to ask a question about it. And all of a sudden, thousands of people will find out about how amazing it is and you'll just have a massive explosion of uh, traffic, yeah. which isn't really how the world works, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sadly. Now we've, we've stopped those questions. Now they're yeah. explicitly off topic. So we shut those down. We said no yeah. more rate my startup kind of questions, which is something that people kind of want. But uh, the trouble is they're all bad. <laughs> we just don't want to go look at their startup. I understand people wanting to ask those questions. I completely understand it, but we're not the right format for it. Yeah. For those questions. I also just don't know who's interested in doing that day after day after day and kind of giving yeah. their giving their opinion. Well, so one thing um, I was talking to these guys at lunch, Julie, and I said that, you know, in business school, everything is taught in the form of a case study. Like mm -hmm. every single class that you take at Harvard Business School, even like accounting and stuff like that, every single class is taught in the form of case studies where all you do is you get like a little eight page handout, which is sort of a detailed review of a particular business at a point in time. And then it just sort of cuts off at some point where there's some critical decision to be made. And I guess you're meant to discuss what you should do. And, and you might get called upon in class and you'd have to defend a course of action. And I was thinking that that might, you know, maybe if we, if we want to do startups, maybe a case study is the way to do it, where we get people to post kind of a detailed case study of their startup and who's involved and what the issues are and what they're making and what's working, what's not working. And then we get people to sort of dive in and, uh, you know, provide their sort of suggested courses of actions and maybe we get multiple of those it's a very it's very different i think than mm. the rest of the way the stack exchange network works yeah yeah that's definitely be interesting i don't know if it would work with our format but i i think that would definitely be interesting i could see it diverting into the rate my startup all over again because people just yeah. want to ask that question yeah and they're probably happy to pour out their heart and soul to you and give you all the details but that still doesn't necessarily make it an interesting question so, so yeah. with the case studies, I mean, presumably they're yeah. they're selected to be interesting companies, not, that, yes. not some one uh, person's little dinky yeah. startup. Right. I asked a professor at HBS, like, why don't the students just go like read the history of that company and find out what the company actually did? And they're like, well, that's not going to help you get a better grade, actually, because you might get a better grade by choosing a better course of action or a better analysis than the company itself actually did. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it's helpless, right? That the. <laughs> <laughs> struggle but yeah. i think we'll eventually get there i think if we had a bigger sense of community and people kind of helping out and yeah you know leaving comments when people come in and ask those you know super super broad questions of build my company for me right that we could eventually you know get to a good place one of the things that i'm worried about is that there are probably nine thousand or ten thousand old questions in there there was a long period of time where questions just weren't getting answered and and they weren't getting even worse they weren't getting closed if they were kind of mm -hmm. stupid and off topic and those mm -hmm. things keep resurfacing. It's sort of like you got a little farm and every time it rains, there's more rocks you got to pick, throw away. Yeah. And that's what I feel like every time we go like a, a weekend and the community user dredges up some old posts. And again, it's somebody opening a bar in, in Angola or something. And it reappears on the, on the homepage and nobody's answered it for a long time. It just makes the site look a little bit forlorn. Yeah. It's very tempting to start over with a new, with a clean, clean site, clean slate site and see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Whenever I see those questions pop up on the homepage, I usually close them. You just close them. See, yeah. then it's working. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an old question. And it's got like 10 upvotes. And yeah, some of them are, you know, we're, we're better then than they are now. Sometimes I feel like there's just too many of them to close. 
Yeah. So, so Zuli, what's your overall impression of the site as far as are, are things getting better gradually or are they getting worse or is it just kind of stuck? I think it goes through phases. Sometimes I see it getting better. Sometimes I see it getting worse. So it's kind of a roller coaster. I think right now we're at a point where we have a couple of users that answer uh, a lot of questions and that's that's really good. Yeah. But I'd like to see people get more involved with the community aspect of it, the the moderation aspect of it and saying, you know, well, this is an old question, but, you know, it's not quite right for our format. Maybe we should close it. Maybe we should clean it up, edit it heavily and clean it up so that it can stay on. That That's what I'd really like to see. I think right now we're, we're kind of at a, a plateau, I would say. But we have been going through that roller coaster of up and down, up and down. Yeah. So back, I'm going to go back for a second, we can, to some kind of the light point side is what are the things you'd suggest people, maybe first from sort of the, the development side, that developers or, or systems administrators should think about more as it relates to security design? I think that the traditional mentality for security is we can stop everything. We can detect all these terrible things. But I think we're at a point where it, there's just too much coming in. And we have to kind of say, you know what, we're not going to be able to detect everything. So what do we do? How do we fix this problem? Detection is not the solution. So we got to figure out a way to, if something gets through, how are we going to minimize threats, minimize the damage that that it's causing? Yeah, I think that the like there was an old school of security thought that was sort of like build a very, very hard perimeter around yourself. Don't let anything bad ever get in. And then inside, everybody can kind of comfortably walk around. Uh, assuming that everything they see is safe. There's zombies and, outside. That's uh, what I'm picturing. Yeah, right. and you kill the zombies from the Tall outside. Tall wall, no armor. Right? But inside, like, you don't even have to carry a gun because right. everything is totally safe. there's no zombies. Yeah, and that I think that philosophy doesn't really make any sense in the current world. I think yeah. a much better philosophy is that you build lots of little compartments inside and everybody is permanently skeptical and you're constantly checking everybody to make sure they're not a zombie. Make your brain less delicious. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. And maybe parcel off, like, little tiny cells so that even if you get you know, one computer is infected by a virus, it can't really affect, infect anybody else in the company. Right, right. And so you're kind of starting to see a movement away from in, in security, away from detection towards isolation. So kind of what Joel is talking about, where we're going to isolate all these little things in these little compartments, virtual machines. And mm -hmm. if something bad happens in there, it's not going to get out and, and bother everybody else, you the know. Battlestar Galactica defense. Yeah. I've always sort of predicted that we're going to get to a point now with our operating systems, which we actually were kind of at. Because Macs don't get viruses. No, with Chrome. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, yeah. um, we're going to get to a point where, without even knowing it, you're running most apps in a virtual machine, and they only have yeah. sort of sandboxed access. Well, that's you're running everything in a browser. and Yeah. So first of all, you are running things in a browser, so they already have, they already are moderately sandwalled and bulk boxed. Until there's a hole in the wall, and then until something bad and then happens, it's out into the rest of your computer where yeah, there's no walls. Then everyone's a zombie. Everyone's infected. But you could actually imagine having a VMware type environment on your desktop that actually launches every single app that you run in its own computer. So, and and then the equivalent on Unix would be Cheroot, right, where everybody has a different view of the file system that only shows their own files, so that's like physically impossible for them ever to see any files that are not that are outside of their little zone. Yeah, it's just, it's building levels of containment, basically, yeah. like, like yeah, what Zulu was describing. You just have yeah. kind of, yeah. as, as many wall, you know, concentric circles or whatever, so that... As many walls as possible. Because everything's going to be breached eventually. Right. Is that where, that's what the Mac App Store approach is, right? Or... <sighs> sort of. That, yeah. That's, a, that's, it's both sandboxed and that they've got the human kind of reviewer element in there as well. Yeah. Um, right, but aside, so aside from the sort of uh, approval process to go through the app store you've got to you got to be essentially sandboxed for other i just remember when there. i first got a macintosh yeah. there was this little app you could install and after you installed this app whenever res you dragged edit. something oh yeah oh res edit <laughs> you needed res edit old to, school yeah you can make your own oh icons my God, and, you can make yeah. i don't know what else it did all i did was make my own icons well i had a thing so that when you dragged a file to the trash can Oscar the Grouch sort of popped up. I had, uh, no, that was an that? extension. You didn't make that. You, you yeah. got that. From no, no, somewhere. I got that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I just yeah, yeah. installed that. Oh, if you made that, you would be a fame. You'd be very famous be in the software and programming community. <laughs> That's right. No, I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend who made the thing where the fish swim on your background. Uh, it was called uh, a wallpaper. After dark. After dark. There were flying, yeah. flying toasters. Flying toasters. Yeah. Mostly an aquarium. Yeah. And there was a guy painting like over your desktop. Yeah, that was that was written by Eddie Fries, who was a developer on the Excel team. 
And uh, oh, and his sister invented Microsoft Bob. So that great is family. some claim, some claims Freeze. to fame. After yeah. Dark was pretty, and then they was... both retired because once no, I mean, that's... Ed Freeze went on to create the Xbox. So that's pretty impressive. That'll never take off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just a device. Good programmers in that family. Okay, uh, so it's his fault. It's his fault that there's a bunch of 13 year old German French. kids making homophobic slurs all day long. Uh, Why German? Uh, I don't know. Seems unnecessarily <laughs> specific. Specific. <laughs> it's, they don't have to be German. They could have been could Dutch. Be from people from <laughs> a country. American. My experience is just exposure to uh, teenagers from other countries who say offensive guy. things while they shoot you in I, the head. I had a really weird experience of meeting one of those people who turned out to be the brother of one of my friends, like younger yeah. brother. Like walked in on him playing video games, and he was the person. I he wasn't was, screaming like, homophobic words. things, but he was just like, yeah, screaming curse words at the monitor. And I was like, oh. You're one of those otherwise, Xbox otherwise, people. normal people. Well, it's you know the the <laughs> greater internet dickwad theory. It's you're, you're one of those people that is otherwise normal, nice person. But as soon as you put on the the headset and go online, you're total yeah idiot. Anyway, when you emptied the trash can, it would <laughs> Oscar, Oscar the would sing. I love trash. Yep. Really sing. It, yes. Yeah. Now, this, this is they have audio that you could quality for that never, uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, they had eight bit audio, amazing eight bit audio wow. on the uh, Mac. Actually, it was pretty good. The, and it was it was audio. Cards you could record all Macs. your own sounds, so like it was it was a big deal at the time. So you like your alert now. sound could be like yelling something that you personally yelled at yourself. A curse word. Right, right. I had uh, I, my alert sound was the um, the yip aliens from um, Sesame Street, the little Martians. They're like yip 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 yip. And then the phone starts ringing, and they go ring. Sorry, we got nothing to talk about. What? You guys. We have so many things to talk about. The worst we, st- podcast ever. we started with security. I'm not <laughs> sure how we got there. You just launched into that story about <laughs> about Oscar the Grouch, and it had nothing to do with anything. We were talking about no, sandboxing and it virtualization. Was exactly about and that because you could install this amazing stuff on your Mac in the old days, and it would just get all hooks into all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, there were you know, it was all extensions and control and extensions panels. And you could just do anything and stuff, and you would completely ruin your computer. Eventually, you would have to reinstall everything from scratch. After a certain amount of time, because you would not know what it was it was right. running. When it you was... rebooted, Oscar had to like get called and be pulled out of bed. <laughs> Turns and, out like, all these things had to occur. Oscar yeah. was actually a virus. That was, that's what happened. <laughs> Oscar it's, would say, I can I actually repair your virus. It's a refresh. <laughs> <laughs> for a little bit of money. I gotta find that so out. What about, so what about real people? Civilians, yeah. citizens. Which is are there things that from a, you know, from your experience in security, are there things that normal people that my my mom and uh, all of my relatives really should be thinking about or doing more that most people still don't. Don't click on links, but that's <laughs> any of impossible, them. Don't you know? click on links. <laughs> that's all I need. It's, oh wow. Okay, I'm gonna I write mean, that it, down. It's, you see a lot of like the older folks and a lot of the younger kids doing this. You know, like twelve, ten. They just click on everything because they just they can't control themselves. They don't know any better. They see something, so they just click on it, and that's that's kind of where. I feel like you know, you're now describing what I do most of the day at work, and I'm frightened. yeah i i make sure not to go and click on random links the problem is i mean this is what it keeps coming back to is it's a really hard thing to teach right to teach somebody who who is not computer savvy because it's it's really just like be smart about it right it's that it's that kind of that that sense when you get the email and something's a little bit off my friend probably wouldn't really say that so i probably shouldn't click this link that they randomly sent me with no explanation. It's so hard to know. And that, that's really hard to teach somebody is the problem. Right. So, so then we're back to, you know, instead of trying to set up this this barrier that nothing gets through, just try to contain the damage that, that these people can do to themselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the problem we're in. It's hard to train and educate people on this stuff. But, and I think part of the problem is because people don't, don't really... Uh, make a point to make it important it's it's yeah, not necessity they, even if they do make it important they, it may not be important to them right now you know they're trying they're dealing with some other problem in their life and their computer is the least of their worries and they're not right. really paying and the link attention. always looks like it goes to something funny or they didn't yeah. even click it on purpose you yeah. know like they just it was just there and they yeah and if they get a virus on their computer what's the worst that can happen you know right. they, they'll lose some data maybe but you know it's not like a company where they could lose millions and millions of dollars yeah and companies have lots of money. Don't worry about the companies. They got plenty of money. <laughs> Which they're going to spend on the software. Please refer to podcast number 43, Joel's Socialism and Anarchy Products. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a good one. Was that 43? Really? I just made that up. I have no idea. So we have we have one other question for Zuli. And this is this is a serious question that it was actually mentioned in the, the, the podcast chat room. 
Ah, uh, yes. There's been a claim that that your dog may actually be cuter, <gasps> cuter than Taco, which is uh, Joel's Siberian Husky. I don't, Julie. I don't know if I've seen a picture of your dog. No. What's the uh, easiest way to find a picture of your dog? My Twitter account, I think. If you go to my, is it like Joel's Twitter account, where basically every other tweet is a picture? Oh, look at that. He's got yeah. a little Santa cap on. Uh, yep. Yeah, there he is. Wait, there wait. What's is. your Twitter? Say, say there it, it is. Uh, there it is. Slash Zuligons. Yeah. I'm going to... Yeah. What's his name? Nene. N-E-N-E. -N -E. It means uh, boy in Spanish. Oh, Nanny. Nanny, oh. yeah. And He's then. my little baby. I'm going to give the name to he's, Taco. Now, I think I, Taco would, name. would just pick him up in his mouth, I think. So yes, he's, he's tiny. He's yeah. And he's old. He's like, I don't, I, actually, I don't know how old he is, but I've had him for about 12 years. That's pretty old. He was a stray. Yeah. He's cute. Yeah. Yes. He's a good boy, too. He's very good. So I don't think Jay, I don't think he has a dog, but he does have a son. So we could, we could put them side by side and have the, have the users vote on which of the three is the cutest. Uh, well, <laughs> we can start with intelligence. I'm pretty sure a husky is smarter than a two-year-old. My son's, I think, on the, on the getting there, moderately functioning side of two-year-olds, but, uh, but huskies are smarter. There's a, uh, we have neighbors, they have two huskies and they are aggressive. I don't know if most huskies are. Taco's well trained. Two. Yeah. No, no, Taco's pretty aggressive actually. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Yeah. We have to, we have to watch it with, with dogs, with people. He's yeah. very, very, very mild and pleasant with other dogs. If they're willing to like play with him, then he'll play very aggressively. And if they like that, then they'll have fun. But if they're not willing to play with them, he'll sometimes provoke them. <laughs> so essentially beyond. they can either Social be his stuff, friend yeah. or be beaten by him. He's uh He's essentially a very sad, lonely boy. Sounds, it sounds a little bit like my nephew. <laughs> Not really, my nephew's. Our awesome. dog is downright autistic, though. I think he's like beyond Asperger's. How old is Taco? He's three. Oh, oh, that's um, twenty-one in dog years. He doesn't. He doesn't. Just, it's time to get a job. He doesn't like being pet. He doesn't really recognize me or Jared very much, even though we live with him. <laughs> uh, he doesn't particularly care about us. Uh, so he's a cat. He's more of a cat. He is very yeah. cat like. Okay. Exactly. All exactly. Right. It's what uh, you would, or, or a boy with Asperger's. Huh. Uh, interesting. He's my Aspie taco. All right. Yeah, I think we have time for one, maybe one question from, uh, from Meta. Yeah. Should we talk premature deletion? Yes. So this is a question that actually came from us, but it was uh, kind of asking the community. It came from Shog. What we should do. So this is meta.stackoverflow.com slash Q slash 171763. How can we stop premature deletion? That's uh, There's no, ab absolutely nothing wrong with saying premature deletion on the podcast. It's just like it's, mastication. Okay. <laughs> it's a completely legitimate English word. This is the podcast that sounds dirty, but isn't. Well, that's a good title. But I think so. This is, and what, what, I think one of the challenges we've had with deletion historically is there've been, I think, varying and somewhat inconsistent. I think there's been a lot of good debate about exactly what deletion is for. And there's like a super easy thing, which is deletion is for getting rid of things that are horrible, and we don't ever want anyone on the internet to see if we can prevent it. So you know, if someone puts up spam or garbage or offensive things or you know bigotry, etc. We want it deleted so no one ever has to see it again because no one should have to see it. Mm -hmm. And that's easy, and we get that, and everyone's happy. And then I think there's a, there's a more complex use for deletion, which is when questions are closed because they're off topic or they're unclear and so they can't be answered, all these other things, our goal is to have them fixed or improved or narrowed or uh, made to be answerable so that person can get help and our community can help them. We can create this wonderful artifact, but some can't. And the ones that can't um, that stay closed, the idea is we don't, ultimately, we don't want them cluttering up the site. And I think in the past, there was this idea that eventually, if something's clearly not going to get fixed, it should eventually be cleared out so we don't have all that kind of noise. And what eventually meant has really never been, I think, perfectly defined. And I think there's also been, some of them get more nuanced and complex because some of the closed questions just aren't welcome anymore, but were very useful. And in some cases may still be useful to some people. We don't more of it. But anyway, long story short is I think the community didn't necessarily know, or there wasn't a consistent view on when things that are closed and probably not getting reopened, uh, if and when they should be deleted. And yeah. so the actual pain point, just to be clear, what was that things were getting deleted too fast, right? So yeah. So so, like in minutes, for example. Yeah, yeah I actually, minutes I, after they were asked, they were right while we were having this conversation. I sort of went in and looked for things that were deleted to see what was going on. And the first thing I found, pretty quickly, and this is actually not as common as it. It's just a coincidence that I found it right away. Was a question that was asked, you know, sixteen minutes ago, closed eight minutes ago, and deleted four minutes ago. And the person who asked it, just you know, would just start getting a four hundred four page. It's like, what the hell happened? I just, just get no feedback that what I was doing was wrong. Uh, yeah. And the question was genuinely asked. It was a. It was not a good question. It was probably salvageable. It probably could have been fixed, but it was certainly asked in in good faith. Yeah, to, to use that. So that that, term. that one that you brought up is is Full one of the things that we credit of the 
Cypriot banking economy. That's one of the things we want to fix, actually. We've, we've gone back and forth. We've talked about this so many times and gone back and forth, but um, we're going to try to make the change and hopefully things don't explode, which is make it so you can see your own deleted questions. If you asked a question and a moderator deleted it, you can actually go back and look at the question. So at least you know that it got deleted and you understand why and you can see the comments that might be explaining why you're being yeah. hated on so quickly if there are any comments of that form. And at least you don't think that you just made a mistake and so you can go bring it up in meta and you can say, why did you delete my thing? Well, that's... If that happens too much, that's the fear, right? That then every deleted thing becomes just another argument and... um, No, it should be. We need to make... We need to continue to make the deleted interface that we show people better and better and better until they understand that there's no point arguing with us. (laughs) And that's a part of... And that that goes back to close reasons. Which is that we are rewriting all the close reasons to provide explanations that I think are better for people to understand exactly what it is that they did that we don't like because we're not we're not so good at explaining our close reasons we have very good close reasons don't explain them well yeah so that's related as well so, so again right now the situation is not uncommon you ask a question it gets closed within minutes and then deleted minutes after that and so by yeah. the time you come back there's just nothing you never even saw the closed message so what's the plan the plan is to let it stay let, let you see them so yeah. that you can at okay, least see so what the first part what went wrong see it and then two is to try to lengthen that time where before it's deleted. Right. So is this just a Stack Overflow problem? Mostly. As far as getting deleted so quickly? No, it's, it's English. worst on Stack Overflow in English. And I think it's a combination of Stack Overflow. The primary reason, I think, is just quantity. There's just so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Keeping it clean is challenging. And so people essentially want to delete because they're afraid if they don't delete when they notice to close it, that there'll never be time again. They just can't keep right. up. Uh, and on English, it's probably I think it's a combination of I, I think that there was a there was a, there's been a huge influx that we're hoping is going to shift a little bit with English language learners, but there were just a ton of questions from people who are learning English. You know, what does this word mean? That were sort of off topic, and they literally are closing roughly fifty percent of their questions. Oof. So it was just a challenge to kind of keep the site clean. They literally would have a ton on the front page. So anyway, so the one of the they was going to do one of the things we're headed towards is. We want to make it so that improvement is possible in almost all cases if the question's asked in good faith. So we're not talking about, again, spam, you know, porn links, whatever it is. That stuff gets blown up. But that questions that are simply off topic that are just no good at the moment are closed. And for some period, there will always be some period if they're asked in good faith that you can fix them before they are deleted. Now, part of what that raises concerns on the other side, which is how does everyone keep up with keeping it clean? And one of the things we want to work on is we already have a process that kind of automatically deletes what we call abandoned questions. And, you know, for argument's sake, it's something along the lines of, you know, questions that are uh, 30 days old, that have uh, a negative score, no answers, and fewer than some number of people have even looked at them, just and are closed, automatically get deleted. Mm -hmm. And that's good, and it cleans things out. So what we're going to look at doing is certain questions, for example, that I just, I think, have no score as opposed to a negative score, that takes closer to a year like a 365 day, which I think was always kind of a test that was intended to be pulled in, is my understanding of the history. So what we're basically looking at doing is is making those a little more, not aggressive, but essentially to clean stuff out that clearly no one is trying to answer. No one cares about. Sooner. Yeah. So that it's easier for people to say, you know what, if I miss this in the five-day period and then it winds up just being completely useless, I'm never going to find it again. You don't have to worry as much because if it truly isn't helping anybody and no one's bothering to answer it, you can feel better that it'll go away on its own in uh, in shorter order. And it was, remember, closed. Yeah. Like, it's perfectly fine for a question that somebody asked to stay open for six years with no answers. And then yes. get it. Yeah, yeah, these are already closed. That's a good <laughs> point. These are things that were That's closed as off-topic or not yeah. good in some way. Yeah, there's just, there's just no reason for them to be around for a whole year. So that's something we're looking at. You can still go to the meta question and, and weigh in. Add your opinion there or vote on the one seven answers. one seven six three. Yeah, and there'll be another post kind of highlighting those specific changes to get some feedback and see what people think. All right. I think that's all we got for this week, right? And now that I have access to the Trello board, I can see that there's really nothing else interesting here that we could post. Well, unless do you want to maybe, should we tell a story or write a poem about the old office before we leave, Joel? You have been listening to Stack Exchange <laughs> Podcast number 46. <laughs> Special guests, Philly Gonzalez, uh, and our usual uh, David Florton J. Hanlon. And uh, fake producer Alex over there is really happy. Bye. Bye. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks from the new office. The new office has like this amazing conference room that can get converted to a podcast studio just by like snapping in some microphones into the table. It's really kind of amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's going to be magical. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, Zilly. Thank you. But the podcast is still going to be absolutely terrible.
I mean, I just know because they're not changing us, right? Just putting us in a new room is not going to make this podcast any, any, any less podcast hosts. <laughs> <laughs> I like it like this is incredible space where you simply take an office and add microphones and then it's, it's a like, podcast studio. You know how like five-year-olds are always afraid to move because they think that their toys are going to belong to the house. They're not going to be in the new house that they moved to. Well, maybe that was just me when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I remember being afraid that somebody was going to steal my parents' house. That, yeah. that was always scary. Uh, steal that's the house. I never, yeah, steal the house. As in, like you'd come there. home and find out that someone else was living there and they'd and stolen like, it. Like, you can't have it. <laughs> like, it's our house now. Yeah. <laughs> I hope while we're talking, someone has gone and sat in David's office and will it's, pretend to be working there. It's, it's there. over. <laughs> it's over. All right. Play the theme music. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have Thanks, a good Julie. week. Thanks. Bye. Theme music. Play the theme music right now. Julie, what you may find shocking is that was our third most professional podcast ever. <laughs> one, of the, one of the best, really. Oh, I love trash. Anything dirty or stingy or dusty. Anything ragged or rotten or rusty. Yes, I love, I love, I love trash. What is going on there? I'm sorry. Zuli, are you there? Where are the producer yes. Alex? We just found Zuli, you guys. <laughs> Zuli, welcome. <laughs> but we're getting like a stormtrooper uh, yeah, for, trash compactors. First out. thing to do is get out of the crossfire. <laughs> I don't know. I seem to always have some sort of technical difficulty. Yeah, it sounds like you're either getting shot at or inside a popcorn machine. It could be either. What? <laughs> Possibly getting shot at inside a popcorn machine. That is too tragic to talk about. That's significantly better. Yeah, I think you've solved yes. the problem, Zilly. Yeah? Yes. Okay, now you sound like a person. Now I sound human? Well, yeah, yeah. at least you sound like you're not in Syria. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm comfortable giving you a flat yes. You do sound like a human. I think Joel's being a little, a little bit stingy in his praise. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, <laughs> let's not get crazy. Kind of human, but you know. <laughs> okay, so... We need a somewhat clean... All right, all right. Let me let's just just everyone Welcome stop to laughing Stack for a second. Podcast number forty-five. Just stop talking 46. and laughing for one second, and I'll come in. So yeah, I so don't we really made... know. Darn <laughs> Joel. Now you can't hit the unlock button at the exact moment I'm trying to pull the handle. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I told you this is going to be a terrible. All right, and <clears throat> and so... action. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> You're killing me. All right. Sorry, Zuli. We're, we're clearly... <laughs> we're supposed okay. to be professional. <laughs> this is... I am a professional podcaster. Fresh no. Fresh no. Chocolate no. <laughs> I'm sorry, what is happening? <laughs> what just happened? Are we supposed to come with some sort of harmony?